If you take a moment, we're going to read from the scriptures the passage in which today's teaching is based. It comes from Matthew chapter 13. I'll be reading from three verses, verses 44 to 46. Matthew 13 is all about Jesus Christ as as king, or the book of Matthew, rather, is all about Christ as king. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And this is God's word. You know, for the past few months, we've been looking at the core values of Metro. And we arrive today at the last teaching of really the first mini-series, the first of our values, the centrality of the gospel. And uh, in this passage, Jesus gives us really two uh, case studies, two very short parables. If you've grown up in the church... Or if you're returning to the church, what Jesus is saying here is super important here. We're going to look at two things. Uh, One, and they both refer to the kingdom of God. Jesus refers to the kingdom of God as our treasure. Two things. One, how do you find it? Two, what happens when you find it? How do you find it? Two, what happens when you do? First, we're going to look at how do you find it. In verses 44 to 45, in each of these case studies... The kingdom of God is referred to as a treasure, a pearl, something of great value, the greatest value, so great that the person who finds it, that thing becomes core, the most important thing to the person who beholds it. And yet, how do they find it? In verse 44, it says it was hidden in a field. In verse 45, it was the person is actually looking for pearls and he finds one. In other words, in both cases, they're hidden. In either case, when they find it, though, there's great shock, there's great surprise, there's joy. In other words, spiritual treasure is always hidden. You never find it where you think it is, especially with our eyes seeing the visible reality that we see. And so when you find it, it always shocks you. In the first case study, this treasure is hidden in the field. Why would a treasure be hidden in a field? In ancient times, there were no banks And so in order to keep wealth away from looters, away from thieves, or away from especially an army, remember, this is ancient Palestine, probably one of the most fought over lands in the history of the world. And so it was often that people would come in and they would raid or loot the area. And so you always hid uh, in order to keep the wealth away from your enemy. You would hide your money in a field until that danger was over. And what would often happen is that uh, people would hide this, their wealth in a field, and then they would die in battle. And so there was a lot of land that had hidden treasure, hidden wealth. And because the law calls you to buy the land around whatever you find, so you owned everything on that land or in that land. If you found the treasure in that land, you purchased the land around it, and then you would own it. So this person, what does he do? He sells everything that he has. He gives up everything that he has to buy this field. Now, it looks foolish. People would wonder if they saw you doing that. Why would this man give up so much, give up everything he's ever saved to buy that lot? And the answer is this. That man knew what was inside. He didn't work for it. He just came upon it. 
It's why it was so amazing to him, but it's also why for the rest of the world it's so difficult to accept. Why? Because it's too easy. It's too free. The Bible says over and over again, spiritual treasure is always hidden in the mundane. It's always hidden in the ordinary. Now, if you've ever read the play by Thornton Wilder, it's called Our Town. It's a classic American play. The point of the story is in the last act, you have Emily, who's the protagonist. And Emily, she dies and becomes a ghost. And she returns back to Grover's Corners where she lives, right into the house where she grew up. And she comes to realize what? That what she missed most were the simple joys that were hidden in the daily moments of living. They were right under her nose. And so these mundane things every day in life, that's what she misses. That was her true treasure. And so the end of the story, she says, goodbye, world. Goodbye, Grover's Corners. Goodbye, Mama and Papa. The clock's ticking Mama's sunflowers and food and coffee and new iron dresses and hot baths and sleeping and waking up. And then she says, you're too wonderful, the world. You're too wonderful for anybody to realize you. And then she turns to the narrator, who's a stage manager. She says, does anybody really get it? And the stage manager says, saints, poets, maybe. The greatest joys of life are right under our nose. And we often miss the ordinary. We often miss it through the mundane because they're too ordinary. They're too mundane. Because the world always looks at what is visible. The world always looks at the externals. And this is, this is Philadelphia. It's a big city. It's no different. Every day, your worth and what you admire is based on what? How you look or how someone else looks. Your polish, your talent your intelligence, your wealth or status or pedigree, your family, your children. Those are the things that we actually treasure. But Jesus is saying, if you want spiritual treasure, if you want to find real spiritual treasure, you have to get over yourselves and get over your things, these things that you see, and you see the reality beneath that visible reality. How do you see it? Well, there are a few ways. One, Jesus is calling us to find it in himself. Find it in the person of Jesus Treasure, real spiritual treasure, is buried in him. But you may miss him because Jesus himself is ordinary. Everything about Jesus as king, everything about Jesus as savior, shatters our worldly obsession with externals. Jesus Christ was poor. Jesus Christ was uneducated. Jesus Christ was homeless. Isaiah chapter 53 says that there was nothing attractive about Jesus that immediately drew anybody to him. His disciples were losers. He got arrested. He was executed as a criminal, and he died. In fact, he's so unattractive that 2,000 years later, the world is still skeptical. Skeptical, and they mock, and they accuse him. The world can't get beyond his ordinariness. Like Strider. You remember Strider in Lord of the Rings? No one knew who Strider really was, but under that veil of what he did as a ranger, who knew that he was Aragorn, the king of kings of a line of decades and centuries and millennia, generations of kings. Now, there are people today that are checking out our church through this live stream, and what are you looking for? In general, when you're looking for a church, most people are looking for externals. 
They're looking at externals, what's visible, your style of worship, maybe the humor of the preacher, types of people that they encounter. We often uh, study externals when we should, be ex- we, we should be looking for and studying values. The Bible calls us what? To fix our eyes on Jesus. To fix our eyes, to study Jesus. Because of all people, we have a God that claims that he let go of glory and he came down and became ordinary. And to the degree that you believe that, it will free your own obsession with externals, your looks, your reputation, your status, your wealth. Because God does not value the externals, the looks, your reputation, your status, or your wealth. In other words, the freedom of Christ enables and empowers our freedom. And it changes what you actually look for. It changes what you see. changes what you value. So you find that treasure in the person of Christ. Secondly, you find the treasure in the message of Christ. That treasure, that spiritual treasure, is buried in a very ordinary message, a very mundane message, the gospel. Now, you've got to understand, parables were stories that were told that have a punchline. They have an outcome. And that outcome is intended to completely shock the listener that was listening in that day. And so you have in verse 44, a man that finds hidden treasure. And what does he do? He sells everything that he has to buy that field, to get that field. It would shock anybody who was listening in that day. Why is that so ridiculous? Because no one believes that treasure that accessible could be, could be, could be that valuable. Nobody believes that, that you could find a treasure that accessible. Now, for a treasure that valuable, we say, what does the world say? you got to work for it. If you want something that you really value, it's got to be worth it. you got to work hard. you got to earn it. Nothing comes that easy. The message that Jesus, who is king, died for you, that God accepts you and embraces you by his sheer grace and love, that's the secret to life. That's what people say. How can anything so valuable be so free and so easy? And it's not just the irreligious that reject that message. A lot of us grew up in the church being taught what? In order to be approved, whether it's inside the church culture or whether it's by God himself. A lot of us grew up in the church and we've been damaged by the, by the truth, at least the seeming reality, the truth that, that God accepts us and approves us by sheer grace in Jesus because of the price he paid based on his record, not our record, based on his work, not our work. And so we ignore the gospel. We kind of repress the gospel. And we say, yeah, I believe that it saved me. But now we say, I need to go on to deeper stuff, more stuff. Seminarians out there, those of you who are studying a seminary, you have to understand what I'm saying here that everything that you study is rooted in this great reality and truth. We say, yeah, I I get the gospel's important, but it's just the basics. It's just the ABCs. Dr. Tim Keller uh, of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, formerly at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, he says what? The gospel isn't just the ABCs, it's the A to Z. We tend to say, yeah, I get the gospel, it's important, but I need stuff now that's going to make me look more mature, it's going to make me look wiser. We're still obsessed with externals. 
You know, we want to look a certain way in the church. We want to act and behave a certain way in the church. So we dismiss, we overlook, we assume the message in our lives. We assume that we get the gospel, and so we miss the gospel altogether. Number three, you, don't, you not only find it in the person of Jesus, you not only find it in the message of Jesus, you find it in the people of Jesus. Who comes to Christ? What's the prerequisite of coming to Jesus? It's to say that you need him. And so you find a lot of ordinary people who come to Jesus. God has a tendency to work through the sinful and the broken and the undesirable people of the world who often are dismissed and overlooked because of the world's obsession and focus on externals. And so what does God do? He chooses Sarah, who is barren. He chooses Leah in Genesis, who is the ugly wife. He chooses Jacob, who is the younger son and is a liar, a broken man. He chooses Moses, who is an adopted son. He chooses David, who is the eighth son. You know why that's significant? Because Jesse had seven sons, right? The seventh son means that he's perfect. But David was the eighth one. He was completely disregarded. And yet, he's the one who would be king. We are obsessed with the superficial, I mean, is that logical? Because they look different than me? Because they act different than me? Because they believe things are different? Their beliefs must be ridiculous? Now think about this. When the gospel takes hold of your life, what it does is it gives you new senses, new sight, to be able to go beyond the visible reality so that it helps you to get over yourself. A lot of us say, Well, I gave my life to Jesus. Now he owes me. That's why I pray. He's going to answer my prayers. But what are most people's prayers? Most people's prayers are about externals, usually about a job you want, career success, a house that you're looking for, your children, your relationships, or a relationship. Ironically, our prayers are often an indication of what we really treasure apart from Jesus. And so we go to real power asking for power. We go to real joy asking for joy elsewhere. We go to real love asking for, real, for love elsewhere. Think about this. We think that these things, power and joy and love, apart from God, when we, when it's, when we think that they're going to increase in these other things without God, when it actually decrease without God. Get over the world standards if you want to find real treasure. That's how you find it. Now, what happens when you find it? Treasure, or spiritual treasure rather, when it's, once it's found, it completely changes your life. Look at the differences between the two people who are in this case, in this case study. In the first case, the treasure was found by accident. In the second case, the merchant was deliberately looking for pearls. In the first case, it was a common man who finds this treasure. In the second case, it's a merchant, a wealthy person who finds the pearl. In the first case, the owner of the field has no idea what's in it. He overlooks the treasure. In the second case, the seller of the pearl must have known because the merchant has to go and sell everything that he has and gives it up for this pearl. He understands the cost. Regardless, there's one similarity. When both men get a hold of their treasure, their lives completely change. 
When they behold what they found, they go back with joy. They sell everything that they have. That treasure is worth everything. And now it's one thing to say, I value the gospel. It's another thing to say, Jesus Christ is worth everything to me. He has immeasurable value. So valuable, it's worth giving up my entire life. Giving up everything that I am, giving up everything that I have. Whereas in the first case, Jesus is just, you know, one of many values. You know, I value the gospel. He's just one of many values. Maybe he's, he's used to supplement your life or improve your life or help your life. In the other case, where you say that Jesus Christ is everything to me, Jesus Christ is your life. He makes your life. He completes your life. True spiritual treasure never just helps It remakes. It renews. How does it do that? What are the four things? There are four quick things that I see here. One, when you find spiritual treasure, it reorients or even reverses what's important in your life. In verse 46, this pearl merchant, he's wealthy. But what does he do with his wealth? Think about it. Dave, you know how hard it is to find a pearl? It's a miracle. Pearls are a miracle of life or a miracle of nature. But this person who has amassed his wealth through finding pearls for a living, it's a very, very difficult career. It's a very difficult job. Yet, upon finding this pearl of great price, what does he do? He sells everything. He gives up everything. He is willing to liquidate his entire wealth because he's found that pearl. In verse 44, the man who finds that treasure, he's likely not wealthy. He's most likely a commoner. But what does he do? He's willing to risk. He's willing to give up his entire net worth for this field. Why? Because what they have found has shaped their view of wealth altogether. They're no longer shaped by wealth. They're no longer owned by wealth. The men were, these men were able to transfer their material wealth Because they've already transferred their existential wealth. What does that mean? Just like you invest regularly in individual stocks, what you do is you examine the stock. You you assess the stock if you understand what it means to invest, right? Um, uh, What happens is uh, you just just the way you are able to invest in individual stocks, you assess, you study, and then you, you take a price and you purchase it. The heart is also constantly taking stock in something. The heart is constantly giving up existential wealth by taking stock in what it treasures. The Bible says everyone is placing their existential wealth into relationships or their career or their reputations or their family. Whatever it is that they believe will increase, give them a sense of worth in life. Well, how do you identify where, have you, where you've invested? And here's how you know. What do you fantasize about? What do you worry about? But once you found the true value of an intimate relationship with Jesus, it reverses, in some ways, what you believe is a treasure. It changes and shapes your definition of what is immeasurable in terms of worth. It reorients where you place that existential wealth in your life. Second thing we see is that it makes you resilient. 
So first, it reorients or reverses what's important to you, what you value. Secondly, what it does is it makes you resilient. These men in verses 44 to 45, they give up everything that they've earned. I mean, they worked for this. This is their net worth, their net savings. They're going to face ridicule. They're going to face mockery. It may, it may lower their status or lower their reputation. It may even lower their, their, their net worth altogether. They're going to lose credibility. That merchant who is this pearl merchant, if he's giving up everything for that one pearl, he's going to lose credibility. In other words, once you've found treasure, it's going to make you resilient in the face of suffering, in the face of loss, maybe even in the face of persecution or ridicule because you've already given up everything. It has reshaped what makes up who you are. And so your inner constitution is resilient. You can face, you can endure struggle. The third thing it does is uh, enables you to live sacrificially. You're able to live with sacrifice. Look what they have. They're willing to give everything up. I mean, the commoner, whether you're a commoner or whether you are a wealthy person, they're both willing to give everything up. They've assessed the value and the beauty and the cost of what they found, and they've given it up. And it says they did it with joy. They were glad. They were joyful when they walked away. The Christian, a Christian is not about not thinking or assessing. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes. The author of Hebrews says, consider him, Jesus, who endured. So you have to think. That means you should be assessing the value of Jesus. You should be assessing the beauty of Jesus, what you're giving up even, but all the more assessing what you, who you've come to, who you've, who you've discovered, the value and beauty of Christ who is our treasure. The Christian says, this is nothing at all. I've given up nothing. I thought I, my heart was set on these things. This is nothing at all. Jim Elliott uh, a graduate of Wheaton College. He was a, a famous missionary, ultimately martyred in Ecuador. He says this in his fam- famous quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to give up what he cannot lose. And so we're free because we process what we have, this immeasurable wealth, richness, in the person of Christ, who was so ordinary and bypassed by everybody else. Lastly, it shapes you in terms of what you see, what you process. What does a Christian actually process about Jesus? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate beauty. Jesus is the ultimate wealth. Jesus has ultimate wealth. Jesus has ultimate power. He has ultimate status. He's the king of kings. And yet he gave up everything and he came down. Philippians chapter 2, the author says that he emptied himself and became obedient and humble to death on a cross. In other words, Jesus Christ was able to make the ultimate physical transfer because he made the existential transfer. And so we have Jesus at Gethsemane right before he's about to get arrested. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. In other words, I'm about to make this existential transfer. 
And it's overwhelming me because he knows what he's about to do. And so he prays to the father and he says, Father, take this cup from me. The cup that he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath would be poured out on him as a penalty for our sins. And so he says, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, yours be done, he says. Jesus Christ is saying that I'm willing to make the physical transfer. I'm willing to die, to give up everything. Because I'm surrendering and making the existential transfer. And as a result, he doesn't only make the physical transfer because he made the existential transfer, but he makes a cosmic transfer when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there he's saying, now I have truly emptied myself. I'm giving up my ultimate treasure. I'm giving up my pearl of great price. And what was that? His relationship with the father. You have God the Father in Mark chapter 1 doting on his son. He says, this is my son whom I love. He's doting and loving on the son. And the son always referencing and thanking and loving the father. The father was central in everything he did. It was all about his will and his glory. And yet on the cross, he says, I'm giving it up. This is my pearl. This is, this is my treasure. And yet he's sacrificing that treasure. Why? Jesus Christ sacrifices the ultimate treasure so that we would have the treasure. Jesus Jesus Christ sacrifices his relationship with God so that we would have a relationship with God. I mean, if you think about it, a father looking at his child, a father loves his child. We hate to see our children sick. We hate, I mean, they have a slight fever. It makes you nervous. You're thinking about it at night. But here's the father the king of the universe, looking upon his son, suffering on the cross, this innocent, sinless, righteous king. And yet he turns his face away, completely forsakes his son. That means that every bit as much as the son is suffering, the father is suffering. The Trinity had forsaken their treasure. They chose to forsake their treasure. Another treasure. What was that treasure? It was us. You. You were the one that were buried in sin. You were the one that was that's in the ground, buried in sin. We were the ones that were lost. And yet God gave up everything. God gave up everything, his own son, to seek and to find us as his treasure. Is it because of something we did? No. Is it because of something we've earned? No. Is it because of our talent or our looks or the externals? No. It's by sheer grace. And when you see that you have become Jesus' treasure and that you have become Christ's pearl, Jesus becomes your treasure and becomes your pearl of great price. And when you see that he gave everything, everything, the world, the universe for you, you will give up everything for him. When you gaze on the beauty of the one who gave up his beauty and cosmically transferred his beauty to make you beautiful, he becomes your beauty. When you gaze on the treasure of the one who gave up ultimate treasure, his relationship with the father, to cosmically transfer his righteousness, Christ is the treasure, then we become the treasure to make us beautiful make us acceptable 
and loved by God. That's going to be a reshaping of your self-image. It's a reshaping of your soul. It's the renewal of your heart. That's the only thing that's going to free you from chasing and pursuing all the worldly treasures that we often get distracted by. It's my prayer that as a church in this weird, I mean, I hate this state that we're in right now, but it's an amazing opportunity for us to not get more distracted, but to focus and fix our eyes on Christ. I mean, if a lot of us are in rehab life, we're in rehab life, we're, we're just rehabbing uh, and nursing emotional wounds and, and, and cosmic spiritual wounds. Let's encounter Christ and take an opportunity to use this time to really discover the treasure that is in him, the richness that can be found in him, in a relationship with him, and be intimate. And you, like these men, will walk away with great joy. Let's pray together.